little town. It's a quiet village. Every day, like the one before. Little town, full of little people. Waking up to say. Bonjour. 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 Bonjour, Tim. Bonjour. That, of course, is Emma Watson showing that she has pipes in uh, the new Beauty and the Beast, which feels like it just was released a week ago, and now it's already out on Blu-ray and DVD. In that early bit of it, it really follows that original story. It does. It just follows it right there. To a T. Visually, orally, it's right there. And our our very own Gaston, or LeFou, as it were, uh, Mark, will be back next week. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Well... And uh, we'll have a we'll have a grand old time hearing about his rock star status now. He'll he's going to leave us and go on tour. Uh, but anyway, yes, the uh, the new Beauty and the Beast is is out. Um, and uh, you know that thing had a whole dust up. The, it, it, now that we have a little bit of perspective and it's made an ungodly amount of money uh, worldwide, uh, we'll we'll be able to uh, speak a little bit more in detail about it uh, shortly. Uh, but um, the uh, the one thing that I think is is very telling, and I want to get through some kid vid first. I got a bunch of kid vid, and then we'll get into uh, Beauty and the Beast. Um, the uh, the thing that I think is most interesting about Beauty and the Beast is that um, it. it uh, it really, even though it was, it, it was just good enough, right? Yeah. It 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 has it has kept afloat the Disney practice of taking animated films and turning them into live action live movies, action, yeah. and uh, that has a little bit of a spotty history. Jungle Book has been great. Cinderella was great. That was this this one did great. Uh, Maleficent did great. Uh, we've had a few others that you know a few other attempts to exploit theme park rides that have not panned out quite so well, like Tomorrowland. So, uh, you know, but we're going to, Disney's going to keep going to that well. Yeah. They're going to keep going to that well. And and why, for one thing, they've got the other set of franchises over there to back them up. It's the smartest run entertainment company in the world right now. It really is. I, uh, you know, I've not not necessarily been a big fan of Bob Iger, but he has, he's done a bang up job. I will say that. He really has. Not to mention, you know, Pixar and everything. What's the third or fourth Cars movie? It's about the fourth. Third, third third, one. Third one, you know. Yeah. Which, which by the way, you know, we, we go to Disneyland fairly often because we have season passes, which, uh, which are now expired. Uh, with you know the summertime done, but <laughs> yeah. uh, the uh, yeah the you know you got a four year old and you got season passes. Once they're in kindergarten, that it's, it's all over. So you take advantage of that year before kindergarten, and uh, so we've we you know we go on a regular basis just to keep her busy, and um, it's amazing just to see to be in the belly of the beast over there, and obviously to witness the Star Wars part of the park as it's emerging, because they're now building the hell out of that thing. My goodness. Uh, anyway. So let's we're gonna we're gonna I'm gonna go through a little bit of kid vid here first, and then we'll have our Beauty and the Beast discussion. Uh, we've got another Alpha and Omega DVD, Alpha and Omega Journey to Bear Kingdom. Uh, these things, these little Alpha and Omega dog stories, have done very very well for Lionsgate, and they continue to. And uh, you know the animation is perfectly fine. The the voice casting is respectable. And uh, they, they maintain a certain level. They're not great, but they are just good enough, and the messages are innocuous enough. And, uh, you know, parents uh, seem to keep responding. Uh, we also have um, another edition of Miraculous, Tales of Ladybug and Cat Noir, which always makes me think of Electra Woman and Dinah Girl. They're kind of like the CG animated version of Electra Woman and Dinah Girl. And uh, this is called It's Ladybug. And uh, there are uh, six episodes on this one, which are all pretty much just in keeping with what they usually do. They're perfectly fine, you know. The uh, it's not it's not rocket science, and it's not uh, you know educational wonder. Mia and Me, uh, another thirteen episodes, season one, volume one. Uh, this is um, they've had Mia and Me releases in the past that have been kind of like special compilations, and this is the first one where we get the actual season order out of them so this may be forcing some people to double dip a little bit um me and me is a is you know it's an okay show it feels very much like a it's you know she's a fairy and they've got the little the little unicorns and whatnot much of it feels a lot like it's like a weird second rate cross between princess sophia you know Uh, sophia the first on tv which is a disney thing and uh, my little pony um by the way, have we ever talked about how bronies freak me out? 
That's just whole that whole thing. I had to review a I reviewed a Brony film on Film Week, and I, I still have nightmares. As I well still think should, of like yeah. you know big, uh, that, that doc that doc that, that doc, doc man yeah, these like big thing. muscular yeah. you know Harley driving guys. I like My Little Pony. I'm a big fan. I frequent the. I go on the internet and meet friends who also like My Little Pony. Like you need therapy, dude. Yeah, dude. Um, Arctic Adventure on Frozen Pond. This thing's weird, and the only thing that keeps this thing afloat uh, are the, is the voice casting, really. This has that family-approved Dove label that always scares the daylights out of me because it usually means there's nothing whatsoever uh, objectionable in it, and that usually means no story. This one's got good voices. The, the, it's basically frogs. It's just frogs. It's like an Arctic frog adventure. It feels very like much like somebody took uh, Ice Age and tried to come up with a new way of doing it instead of dinosaurs and mammoths and, and you know, uh, and prehistoric creatures are doing it with frogs. It's weird. But John Lovitz is one of the voices, and John Lovitz is great, and anything John Lovitz lends his voice to makes me laugh, so that's, uh, that's good. Tommy Flanagan. Tangled Before Ever After is a not terribly impressively well uh, 2D animated kind of prequel uh, to, well, sort of prequel to Tangled. Yeah. Um, it, 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 bottom line is this. It's not the same kind of animation as Tangled. Um, so it's you have to be ready for the fact that if your kids love Tangled and if they're expecting to see Tangled, they're not really going to get Tangled here. They're going to get kind of a variation on Tangled. And it's a, it's a, I mean, it's a sequel, but it's kind of a prequel. Uh, you'll understand when you watch it. But it also includes uh, four shorts. So, you know, the shorts are cute, too. It's, uh, I mean, it's, it's not, you know, just don't expect too much. Uh, that dove sign of approval also shows up on In the Dog House from Breaking Glass, which is a dog movie. <laughs> and uh, I'm so tired of dog movies. I, I really am. Uh, they're all kind of the same. The, the, this dog is, you know, basically a poodle. It's not that attractive. The movie's innocuous. Doesn't really do anything that's, un- you know, that's new. But it's a dog, and if you love dogs, fine. Uh, Peanuts. Go, Team Go. This is 19 new Peanuts shorts. They are not great. They're not bad. They're just fine. Uh, the, you know, I, I still remember all the original classics, and they kind of got more pedestrian as time went on. Um, these are fine. I just, I just don't know who the audience is necessarily for these. But, uh, you know, it's... It, if you, if your kids love peanuts, they won't be they won't they won't mind. Um, Wacky races, the complete series. Love Wacky races. I still I love the love Wacky those races so much. It's the best. Uh, I, I dastardly and Muttley. I would just always root for them. I know they're the bad guys. <laughs> yeah, I just I know they're the bad guys, but I just I love the whole. You know, it's clearly here's the thing. Wacky what, races. What, what I liked is every blue moon. Yeah, they'd win. I know, <laughs> you right? know, what I thought was an interesting sort of conceptual thing. Wacky Race is one of the more clever uh, Hanna Barbera things. You you know Penelope Pit Stop, and you just take all these characters and you put them into a race, and every week it's a different race. Yeah. And you don't really need much of a plot. You just have a lot of you know uh, Coyote and Roadrunner kind yeah, of antics, yeah, a little bit of cheating, you cheating, know. and people playing tricks and cars doing wacky things. Uh, it's a really a very clever show. I I I always enjoy this and. Uh, Clearly, dastardly and muttly, it's all variation. You know, the cars are a variation on uh, the, those amazing men and their flying machines, mm-hmm. and and uh, Tony Curtis and Tony Curtis and the Great the Race yeah. and all that stuff. You know, uh, jaunty jalopies and and chitty chitty bang bang and all that stuff kind of informs this, and it's a lot of fun. So, uh, thirty four episodes of that stuff, and in, even though every episode is basically the same, it never gets old. Uh, this is a great release from the Hanna-Barbera Classic Collection uh, division or, or, or brand of the uh, Warner Archive Collection. And uh, there's a lot of great extras on here as well. There's even uh, commentary on four episodes by uh, some of the original Hanna-Barbera animators and, uh, and, uh, and, uh, and writers. And uh, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun for, for kids and for their parents. The parents probably will enjoy this more than the kids. Uh, we've been ranting and raving about Wonder Woman and how uh, how awesome the movie is, and it's doing just ridiculous business. Uh, so you should probably also enjoy DC Superhero Girls Intergalactic Games, which is an original DC movie. Kind of silly. It's in the wacky races vein. You know, it's uh, it's all about taking the superhero girls, Wonder Woman and Batgirl, and you know, Supergirl and 
all the rest of them, and uh, they, you know, they're they're kind of engaging in these games against some of the baddie girls on an intergalactic level, like kind of an Olympic thing, and that's fine. Uh, it doesn't really go anywhere. Uh, the plot is really minimal, but it's, you know, it's got the DC flavor. It's uh, it's respectably well put together, and it's got a whole bunch of featurettes on it that are perfectly uh, charming. Nickelodeon, a bunch of things from Nickelodeon. Uh, I'll go through this really, really quickly. We got Rugrats season one and two uh, individually. Rugrats has been out before; it is now back. Uh, some good friends of mine from film school used to work on Rugrats, and uh, the Klasky Shupo thing was a was quite a factory. And uh, you know what? This show ages really, really well. The Rugrats yeah. movie was was also a lot of fun. So uh, I'm kind of glad Rugrats has become a thing again. Uh, the Loud House, Welcome to the Loud House, Season 1, Volume 1, is out. And uh, this is a little bit too frenetic. I, I, I kind of feel like when uh, John Crickfalusi did uh, Ren and Stimpy, he introduced a manic style of animation that has been... It needs to be scaled back a little bit. This doesn't quite work for me. Some people really like this show. I think it's a little bit too much. I wouldn't, I'd, I'd be afraid that it would introduce... Uh, some kind of hyperactivity issues to my children. <laughs> Bubble Guppies, Super Guppies. I really enjoy the Bubble Guppies. They're mermen and mermaids, and they sing songs, and they have little rock bands, and they're adorable and cute, and I really don't care that their plots make no sense. Um, this has uh, five episodes on it, and uh, they're all a whole lot of fun. I just enjoy when they, I especially enjoy when they sing. They're really, really great. Uh, whoever writes those Bubble Guppies songs just absolutely kills it. And then uh, PBS has given us a... <coughs> Oh, excuse me. A little water right over there. Yeah, I got it. Uh, PBS has released five titles also this week. All About Allergies is episodes of Word World, uh, Peg and Cat, Peg Plus Cat, I should say, Daniel Tiger's Neighborhood, and Arthur that uh, I'll teach you about allergies. Uh, it's kind of amazing that they went and called these together and decided to have an allergy-themed release, but it's good because kids suffer from allergies. Now that I'm a parent, I'm not so cynical about that. Daniel Tiger's Neighborhood, also uh, Tiger Family Trip. This has uh, seven episodes of uh, Daniel Tiger's Neighborhood. I'm not really big on this show. Uh, this is from the, uh, the Fred Rogers Company, Mr. Rogers uh, Production Company. But, again, has a following. Kids like it. Peg Plus Cat is great for math. Uh, we often joke if Peg plus Cat went up against Sarah and Duck, who would win in a grudge match. I think Sarah and Duck would win because they're English. And, you know, they'd, they'd pull out some South London <laughs> thing. She, Sarah probably has a shiv, you know, she carries around because they, they're tough down there in London. And uh, anyway, this is Peg Plus Cat. The uh, title of it is Peg and Cat Save the World. And if you don't know the show, the, the voice of Cat is hilarious. She talks like this. Very funny. But it's all about math and, it, uh, you know, kind of a, they, they have math problems. And it's, it's good. It's very educational. I learn a lot. I, I'm, I'm terrible at math. I probably learn more than my daughter does. So uh, this is uh, this is you know two episodes or two part uh, adventure, and then a couple of uh, triple features, which really you know just uh, are just loosely themed together. Uh, Wild Kratts triple feature, Predator Power Lost at Sea and Rainforest Rescue, and then a Super Why triple feature, which I much prefer. Uh, Humpty Dumpty, Hansel and Gretel, and Jack and the Beanstalk. Super Why, of course, is really a, a good show for teaching kids, you know, how to read. It's kind of silly, kind of, you know, super, super preschool, but it works. So there is our kid vid. Uh, and now let's talk for a second about uh, Beauty and the Beast. Um, so Beauty and the Beast, Blu-ray, get it. It's terrific. It's a lot of fun. Let's talk for a moment about, and, and by the way, the, uh, the reading sessions on it, the, uh, the roundtable readings, very, very interesting. Because, you know, Dan Stevens had his voice all modulated like crazy when he sang and when he spoke in the movie. Yeah. And uh, it's really interesting in the table readings especially because there's Dan Stevens using his normal voice. And you, he's sort of laying the groundwork for what will be modulated to the Beast's voice mm -hmm. later. It's very, very interesting to sort of hear those lines delivered without the modulation. Be I thought be before they, yeah, yeah. Lay, lay on the yeah. uh, the bestiality. Of yeah, it yeah. All. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, as it were. But the the you know the LeFou thing was a thing for a moment. The movie got like an adults only rating in Russia because of the ostensibly gay, yeah, whatever. Well, okay, so the the deal here is that when the director of the film, uh, Bill Condon, who we like very much, 
great director, but Bill Condon had some loose lips when he gave uh, had a press day in Europe. Yeah. And uh, he let slip. He said, you know, that it has a wonderful, exclusively gay moment for LeFou. and that was seized on by a gay publication in the UK, which then went viral with their telling of it. And next thing you know, everybody is panicking, and people are boycotting, and theaters are canceling the movie, and Russia's giving it a slapping with a rating, and everybody sees it. And people go, I'm sorry, what, 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 mo- what moment? Who's gay? What? Because it literally is, if you blink, you miss yeah, it. Yeah. It's silly. And you know what? It, no kid, if you're concerned that kids are going to, I just, I want people to know this. If you are concerned that this movie somehow sexualizes a character and that your kids are going to be saying, why does LeFou dance with a man at the end? It, they're not going to notice. No. They just aren't. Kids are listening to the songs, and this is, this is completely irrelevant. So it, it, it does what Wonder Woman does, which is it has it both ways for all audiences, and this movie is all things to all people, and it's wonderful, and everyone should see it. Uh, children of the age who would be interested in this film aren't thinking about the things no. that adults are thinking about. No. If, if an adult does not bring that to their attention. My daughter just asked me the other day why I don't wear dresses. You know? Yeah, Look, yeah. kids... The, they're still forming, yes. uh, you know, they're still figuring the world out. And, if you and, don't freak them out, they no. will not be freaked out. We yeah. do that to children. <laughs> That's it's, not something that happens to them no. by themselves. They're just no. fine. Yes. Uh, generally speaking. So, you know, anyway, that, that was kind of... And of course, you know, my I have aunt... all kinds of other problems with that movie, though, to be honest with you. And I, and I like it just fine, viewing yeah. of these, right? But, frankly, it's very loud. I mean, actually, orally yeah. loud. I know that at your house you can turn the yeah. sound down, but yeah. like it's natural sort of presentation in theater. It's very loud. It's also ooh, very slavish to the original. I yeah. mean, really, that really. That opening sequence you played, yeah. It's it's almost too much. So, I mean, the nice thing about, for example, Kenneth Branagh's Cinderella, or even Maleficent, which is you know comes at it from comes at beauty yeah, the, from a different way, different all the way, world, yeah. is that you know there's uh, Cinderella doesn't have bibbity bobbity boo, and it doesn't have the three fairies, and it doesn't have all those things that that. Uh, uh, or yeah, not the three fairies. That's that's Sleeping Beauty. But the uh, it doesn't it doesn't have the whole they're creepy sisters. Yeah, it doesn't. It just doesn't have all the stuff the animated had. It's its own thing, right? Mm. It doesn't feel like we're remaking shot for shot. And Beauty and the Beast, unfortunately, kind of does have that feel to it. And there are times when I felt like it was character for character, shot for shot, just too much trying to exactly be the animated film. Yeah. And uh, it should have it should have separated itself a little bit more. Uh, I I thought that uh, Christophe Gans's uh, French language Beauty and the Beast from also last year, yeah. which is non musical, but I thought that had a lot of the the production value and the effects that I wish and the design innovation that I thought that this one should have had. Yeah, it should have distanced itself a little it more. It leaned it leaned much more on the drama. Yeah, uh, of the story than it did on just hey, look all of that stuff that, that works in animation. Yeah, uh, it's to my mind too much yeah. for live action. I agree. This is just all too much. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, but, you know, my, you know, that's the way it played played for me anyway. Uh, so anyway, yes, but, but still recommended. So yeah, let's dive into uh, what do we we docs uh, TV old classic stuff. What are we gonna do? Well, I, 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 these are closest. Let's do it. <laughs> so, let's so do it. Let's, let's where the buffalo roam. Uh, Bill Murray and Peter Boyle. Uh, in 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 this movie uh, adaptation from from Hunter from Hunter S Thompson of course and I think Bill Murray has always been a better Hunter S Thompson than Johnny Depp was Ooh, I just yeah, want to yeah, say that that one yeah right, yeah, yeah from Fear from and Loathing, Fear and Loathing. Yeah. yeah his his Hunter Thompson here is Johnny Depp plays Hunter S Thompson more as Groucho Marx yeah Bill Murray played Bill Murray knew Hunter S Thompson yeah very well yeah yeah you know the, 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 he the, is Hunter S Thompson and, yeah well Bill Murray played the junkie. You know, yeah. and he played the junkie. You know him when, when yeah, uh, and uh, yeah. Who, who was who was he running around in, the, in that movie with? It was um, oh uh, Del Toro. Uh, yeah, Benicio Del Toro. You yeah. know, they're they're playing all of that. He he, he was uh, Bill Murray here is playing the rye guy. Johnny Depp, yeah. I should say, played the junk junkie. Yeah. Bill, Bill Murray is playing the rye and sophisticated uh, guy, which is sort of much more interesting to me. Anyway, there's a, a new interview here with the screenwriter John Kay. Uh, I always thought this was a, this and this movie from that period, Continental Divide, John Belushi's movie from that period, you know, yeah. more or less, uh, uh, were always very interesting movies to me that I don't think you know, you know, probably got as much respect as they ought to have. Collector's Edition uh, from who put the, who's putting this out? Oh, that's Shout, Shout Select. That's, that's, that's Shout, Shout Select. Select. Shout Factory's uh, Select line. Yeah, really, really nice release. Always love that. Yeah. Line. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, Disney also is, they have Bambi out, anniversary edition of Bambi, which was, you know, one of the, this is one of the oldest Disney animated films, and... 1942? 
two. Yeah, and this is this is one of the ones that basically helped launch Disney Studios. I mean, this is one of the ones that made Walt Disney. You know, we have to remember his first few films were RKO releases. Yeah. Until Disney became its own thing, and Bambi is a crucial film in the in the building of the Disney Empire. Uh, I will say this. Still not letting my daughter watch this. No, a little scary still. Still, that yeah. I watched the beginning and I just thought it's still too soon. Yeah. It is too soon. This thing still makes me cry. You know, and I, and I don't know. Maybe the kids in the maybe the kids in the forties held up a little bit better, but these probably things did. I think would just be a little overwhelming. For well, me. it's it's got uh, it's got a heap of great extras on it. It also has a the uh, uh, an Oswald the Rabbit short on here, which is wonderful. A vintage Oswald short, beautifully restored. The uh, the audio on Bambi and the picture are just beyond compare. Really, really superb. Disney does a better job with their their archival titles than almost anybody except possibly for Warner Brothers. Uh, the, uh, you also get uh, some, uh, some studio recordings and deleted scenes and all kinds of little tidbits about how the, uh, the movie came together. And it is really, really interesting. It's a wonderful collection of stuff. Bambi, rated G still, but I think this might get a PG if they were to re-rate <laughs> yeah. it today, to be honest. I'll be honest with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, juice. Uh, Juice was Ernest Dickerson's debut film. Yeah. Uh, early film of uh, young Tupac Shakur. Yeah. I, I, I actually interviewed them uh, at a hotel over on Hillgard in Westwood back in ninety back in ninety one, I guess actually it's when the uh, it's when they were making the movie. And I, I remember it so vividly sitting there talking with Omar Epps and, and, and Tupac and and, and and Jermaine Hopkins. And it was just this vivid thing. And I was I was perfectly I was perfectly aware of one thing at least. Uh, you know, Tupac had been around hip hop videos and all yeah. that kind of stuff. I was, I was, I was, I was sure of one thing at least after I saw this movie: this kid can actually act. Yeah, and he is magnetic. Um, uh, he's been dead. Uh, Ninety six is when Tupac died. Twenty mm -hmm. more, a little bit more. Isn't that amazing? It, yeah, yeah. And and there is a Tupac biopic uh, queued up for maybe the next in the next week or two, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, they got a kid that looks just like him, almost just like him. Yeah. Uh, to do that movie, which is going to be interesting. In any case, uh, this movie, uh, commentary by Ernest Dickerson, who of course had been Spike Lee's uh, cinematographer for many years. Or yeah. Way back to uh, Joe's do the bit, right thing. Uh, and, do Joe's yeah. Bedside Barbershop, yeah. and she's got to have an all. That kind of stuff. Ernest had himself quite a career as a as a, as a director. Mostly uh, doing TV now. Mostly doing a lot of lot of walk, a lot of those Walking Dead yeah. and all that kind of yeah. stuff. He, he got along. Anyway, this this film gave us um, gave us some really interesting people. One of Queen Latifah's early performances uh, here, um, uh, and you got a couple of uh, the music videos from back in the day and all that kind of stuff. Anyway, it's just an interesting sort of thing to look at, uh, and all of that history that's sort of gone by the way. It's a twenty fifth year anniversary. Juice. And we got three 4K Ultra HD releases here. Uh, it's a it's a bit of a it's a bit of an unusual trio from uh, the people over at Summit. Um, Summit and Lionsgate together, uh, which is the same company, just for those who don't know. Dwayne Johnson in Snitch, yeah. which is, you know. Here's the thing. To, that's, that's about, what, five years ago or About so? five years ago. He was still trying to figure it out. Kind of still trying to figure it out. And, and I feel like, you know, the, and that's a good way of putting it, because I, you, when you look at Dwayne Johnson's career, the one thing that is clear is this guy has mad skills and mad talent yeah. as a dramatic actor. Charm yeah. as a dramatic actor, as a comedic actor, and then Moana comes out and we find out he can sing, and then you know the the lip sync battle on TV and we find out he can dance, yeah. and suddenly you're thinking, okay, sky's the limit, dude. You are you are in top of the world, and he of course for those who don't know, he's the highest paid. A, a, a entertainer in the world right now. He made $60 million last year. $60 million. Yeah, yeah. That is a pile for anybody. Yeah. And uh, so he is. He's owns the world right now. But here's the thing. Dwayne Johnson can do anything, but he has made only a few movies that are sort of worthy of his talents. Yeah. Now, I don't begrudge him the Fast and the Furious movies. Those things make a pile of dough, and he is a huge part of that, more than Vin Diesel now, actually. But um, they're not very good. Yeah. Baywatch is terrible, even though he's great in it. Yeah. And and Snitch, you watch and you're like, you're really great in this, and this is still just a generic, you know, tough guy action movie. When are you gonna? When are we gonna see Dwayne Johnson in a movie that is worthy of his talents? And I don't know the answer to that because it has to sort of come to him. But in any case, Snitch, you know, he's really good in it. He's better than the movie in it. Um, 
Also on 4K is Dread, the second chomp at the Judge Dread uh, story from uh, originally from uh, 3000 AD, the the, the comics line. Who's that Stallone? Those had to be the early nineties. That Stallone movie. Yeah, Stallone. Yeah. I am the law. Yeah. And then uh, they decided to go and and cast uh, what's his face, Doctor McCoy, Carl Urban as Dread, and and you know a new version that's basically. You know, the same as like this came out around the same time as the uh, that um, the Indonesian films, uh, the Indonesian action films, the Indonesian martial arts films directed by the British guy. Why am I drawing the uh, raid? Oh, the raid! Oh, the raid! Yeah, the, the raid. Oh, that building that where the yeah. people live. So this is basically the raid. I oh. mean, the plot is basically the raid, and the raid is still basically Game of Death, the yeah. Bruce Lee movie. If we're yeah. honest about it, you know, there's something in the top of the building. Got to fight your way up. I mean, look. You know, that scenario's been around a long time. Fight your win, fight your way out. That's it. Yeah. So uh, Dread basically does that not terribly well, but I kind of give him props for trying. Uh, still, looks really good on 4K. Uh, it benefits, but what really benefits from 4K, and I didn't think it would, is Ex Machina or Ex Machina, however you yeah. want to pronounce it. Uh, this is still a terrific film. I mean, a really, really good, very smart, contained science fiction film. Really, really just superb. And um, that now that's a film that condenses itself into a very small, a very tight location. It is definitely with a very few people, but not because they didn't have any money, but, but uh, rather because the narrative serves that, or you know, the uh, that serves the yes. narrative, I should say. And uh, you know, this is the the directing debut of uh, Alex Garland. Alex Garland, yeah, who uh, wrote 21, uh, 28 Days Later, and who wrote. Dread, which we just talked about, uh, but, but Garland is, you know, Garland has been like the, the he's been a comer for a while as a, as a science fiction guy, and uh, this is a directing debut, wrote it for himself, very, very smart, uh, Alicia Vikander was, you know, kind of a big deal in this at the same time that she was a big deal in the, uh, the Danish Girl, which won her an Oscar, so both of these things contributed to her Oscar, I would say, um, and, you know, it's the whole a- AI, the, the idea of, uh, you know, everybody in this movie is kind of really moving up the ranks. I mean, not just uh, Garland, but Domhnall Gleeson, who is the yeah. son of, uh, uh, Brendan, yeah. of Brendan Gleeson, yeah. who's been in, you know, Star Wars movies and everything else. And he was in The Revenant, and he's, you know, he's great in this. Um, Alicia Vikander is absolutely terrific. And then, you know, of course, you've got the, uh, the fantastic and wonderful... Um, Isaacs. Uh, yes, uh, Oscar Isaacs, yeah. who is just is such a you know he's he's a Star Wars guy too now. Yeah. So uh, yeah, there it, it's a it's a really smart movie, um, and on 4K it's just gorgeous. It's just absolutely gorgeous, and uh, the visual effects look better, and everything is sharp and crisp, and you can't see behind the CGI as you very often can on a lot of these. So, uh, of these three, if you're going to add something to your 4K library, go with Ex Machina. It is the that's the one to beat this week. Yeah, not on 4K, but interesting to me anyway. Protocol, Goldie Hawn movie. I remember that uh, from back in 1984. Uh, 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 so, so basically, and this is Herb, this is Herbert Ross, of course, with Charles Charles Shire doing the story, and of course Charles, yeah. and his wife uh, Nancy, Nancy Meyer, Meyer mm-hmm. uh, at that time, yeah. had done uh, uh, Private Benjamin. Yep. Uh, and this was this was really sort of the most direct <laughs> and very specific knockoff, more or less. More or you less. Know, we had this film. Sure. It worked with this sort of set of elements and a context, you know, fish out of water and all that kind of stuff. And we'll just we're just gonna do it again, uh, right down the line. And didn't work nearly as well as uh, as Private Benjamin, but nevertheless, um, it kind of it kind of funny. Look, Buck Henry's writing is funny to me. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not you know, it doesn't it doesn't always turn out great in terms of a movie, but Buck Henry's writing. Buck Henry wrote this. Yeah. Uh, uh, and uh, so in that context, it's kind of funny to me. Not particularly much on there, though. So uh, Rudolph Valentino. Got a couple of Rudolph Valentino oh, classics here. Yeah. The Shake and The Son of the Shake. Uh, now, these are both silent classics. These are from Aquino. Aquino is, uh, it, it just makes these things look so, so gorgeous about, and so about, beautiful. Uh, well, middle, middle to late 20s. 1921 for The Shake and 1926 for Son of the Shake. Yeah. And uh, for those who, you know, th- these are the films that basically contributed. I mean, Hollywood was very was obsessed with uh, what we would call exoticism and Orientalism in the silent era. Yeah. And, uh, you know, movie. the last thing anybody wants to see on the screen is what life they're coming from, unless it's a Mary Pickford movie, in which case it's okay because it's got Mary Pickford in yeah. it. 
but they wanted you to carry away. I want to see, you know, Arabian Nights. And I want to see Insignificance, and I want to see, you know, the, the 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 Civil War, and I want to see, you know, things and places I've never gone to before. And that's how you wind up with, you know, Pola Negri, mm-hmm. who had that that exotic look, and that's how you wind up with Theta Barra, which mm-hmm. is not her real name, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Arab death backwards. Uh, and that's how you wind up with Valentino, who was that seductive. You know, yeah, yeah, and uh, Valentino's mystique really, really was elevated by these movies, which are, you know, they're they they don't date terribly well, but he does. Yeah, it's a Dwayne Johnson thing again. The the thing that I like about those movies, I mean, all right, so so you know, look in terms of. in terms of culture, yeah. <laughs> we, 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 we have ourselves some issues. But they're adventurous, and yeah. the women in those movies, particularly the first movie, The, the, the Sheik, yeah. they're adventurous, these sort of English women who are these adventurous sort of, you know, they're, they're not like wilting flowers. No. So at least sort of like had that going forward back in, you know, 80 years ago. Yeah. But it's a lot of extras here that really, really contextualize this. Wonderful audio commentaries, and, uh, you know, there's, there's a filmed introduction by Orson Welles on Son of the Sheik. And uh, it all really, really does put it in context. It all sort of puts it in its historical environments and its artistic uh, legacy. And, you, you, you know, you begin to understand that. But here's the thing. Here's where I wanted to go with this for a moment. You know, um, we, there's a great line in La La Land where uh, they're walking across the back lot. And uh, Ryan Gosling says to Emma Stone, um, he says, oh, that's L.A. They, they worship everything and value nothing. Yeah. And uh, that's one of our one of my pet peeves is that we just have no sense of history here. Things that are relevant to Los Angeles, we just tear it down. Like the Ambassador Hotel, they just tore that down. Bobby Kennedy was assassinated was at the yeah. Ambassador Hotel. Yeah. We just tore that thing down. And, and certainly, there are places in this, even in this country, where that wouldn't happen. Rudolph Valentino lived in a gigantic, amazing spread in L.A. I mean, it was it would have been a wonderful silent history museum today. They tore it down to make way for the Hollywood Freeway. Yeah. So every time I drive on the Hollywood Freeway, I shed a tear because I think I'm driving across where Ruta Valentino's house was. Couldn't you find another damn place to put this freeway? It's a crazy thing. It's a crazy thing. Nuts. Well, yeah, there's there's that area over near Runyon Canyon. We know yeah. where that is. You walk up through yeah. there, and and you can still see the ruins of uh, Charlie Chaplin's uh, tennis yeah. court. Yeah, uh, there. You know, the, you know, the ruins of Charlie Chaplin's tennis court. Amazing. It's a wacky thing. Every now and again, you know, it's it's really weird. Uh, across your life, you run into these movies that just sort of like stick with you for no yeah. reason. It's just arbitrary, right? Vision Quest. This Matthew Modine. I hear. I, I hear you. Was one of those movies for me. I agree. For one thing, he's a he's a wrestler in the movie, and I was a wrestler. <laughs> uh, uh, and 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 he falls in love with this girl played by Linda Fiorentino, who was know, in her prime oh my at the God, time. Just ridiculous. And 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 that and, voice, that uh, that low. Raspy, sexy voice of hers was phenomenal, and he was this guy who was a lot like me, you know, a little bit goofy, you know, kind of, you know, yeah, yeah, but you know, and just just smitten by this girl. It's just, it was just, I was, I, 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 I and I was an adult when this movie came out in yeah. 1985. I was already older than his character, featuring Madonna's first on-screen appearance, on-screen appearance, uh, yeah, uh, singing cra- in the crazy, club, crazy for yeah. you sitting over there, and and there was just the whole way that this movie was shaped. He had this teacher uh, who was this basketball, who was, yeah. it was just this really really neat movie. In, in any case, Harold Becker. Film, um, I don't think that they really make films like this. They anymore. don't. They I, don't. You know, no. it, it's, you know, it's just it doesn't exist it's, anymore. It's almost it's almost a, uh, in the same vein as Flashdance, if you think about it. Yeah. Flashdance is a similar kind of a movie, a which is line. it's it's a it's a slice of life about somebody. And we could even make the case that you know uh, Saturday Night Fever is one of those yeah. kinds of movies. I mean, these are movies about ordinary people. Just trying to sort of find find that next step in life, live out the dream, uh, express themselves, kind of find their identity, and there were a whole lot of those movies in the seventies and the eighties. Seventies and eighties, little slivers of actual ordinary. Robert Altman made the movies like yeah. Nashville and whatever. You know, uh, blue collar people doing blue collar, but very often people. highly stylized. Yeah. You know, yeah. Ronnie Cox played his dad in this movie. Played uh, Matthew yeah. Modine was the young guy in this movie, yeah. and Ronnie Cox played his dad. And 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 what I loved about one of the things I loved about this movie is that Ronnie Cox was this great dad. Yeah, you know, yeah, was, you know, just 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 this guy, just just mechanic. Anyway, uh, from from Warner Archive collection, not a whole lot on it, uh, not anything on it, but the movie's yeah. good. 
So a uh, couple of couple of creepy ones here. So I don't like rats or mice. I have a problem with rodents. <laughs> I, I really do, especially because I live in an area where they will, uh, if I don't spray predator urine around the car, they will, or and keep the the weeds back. They will crawl up inside under the hood and chew wires. And and in one case, as one did, somehow get inside my trunk. Yeah, yeah. Don't like that. And they'll die there. Uh, and well, yeah. we have that in the other car. Yeah. Uh, Christie's car. Somehow, somewhere, a mouse died in the ventilation system, and 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 you know those flies yeah. that don't know how to fly. They're now flying out, and every time we open the car, they're like flies in the car. Yeah. The, the the ones that don't know how to fly right. Yeah. Yeah. It's really annoying. I got to take it into the uh, to the dealer and just say, would you please find the mouse wherever it is in the ductwork somewhere under the hood? So anyway, that's that brings me to Ben and Willard. Uh, now, uh, and, and I should say Willard and Ben because yeah, Willard maybe is the Willard yeah. was first. Yeah, uh, Willard, se- se- seventy-one, seventy-two, something like that. I was uh, those movies played such a gigantic role in my life as a young man. Not to mention Michael Jackson singing that yeah. song. Uh, but yeah. there they are. There they are. So anyway, uh, the only interesting thing to me about Willard is the person that plays Willard, which is Bruce Davison, Bruce, young Bruce Davison, uh, very young Bruce Davison, who is really good here. And uh, Elsa Lanchester is his mother. That's just such, that's such a weird. Ca- it's, it's just weird to think, you know, an Ernest Borgnine. They were all in the same movie together. They overlap. That's yeah. always weird to yeah. me. The, yeah, people the people that overlap. overlap yeah. But uh, in any case, the the um, the idea here is that Willard makes friends with a rat and uh, is able to commune with him psychically. And eventually becomes kind of a Pied Piper of Hamlin kind of weird, twisted thing and uses, you know, his mind control over the rat to do horrible things. And uh, Ben carries that story forward in a very, very disturbing way. I, uh, look, the, uh, Again, I guess the theme song for Ben is the only thing that really is to recommend, and Michael Jackson kills that song, but that song is still unbelievably creepy in the context of in what the, the movie's about. Of the, yeah, it's so creepy. But still, even though I don't like these, they are both out now in Blu-ray DVD combo packs for those of you who really don't give a damn about my opinion. And uh, so you can go out and get your DVD Blu-ray combo sets for, of uh, Willard and Ben from Scream Factory Division of, Scout, of Shout Factory. And never mind me, but these movies just creep me the hell out. <laughs> They really creep me out. Um, and then our last one here is from uh, Cult Epics, real quickly. Uh, this is a very, very obscure old movie that a lot of people probably never even knew existed. It is called Obsessions. It is co-written by Martin Scorsese and has music by Bernard Herrmann. Yeah. And that is the way that they are pushing this thing. This was made in 1969. This is a straight-up exploitation film. Uh, made in Holland by uh, a director by the name of Pim de la Para, which could be part, could, that could be a French name, that could be a Spanish name, that could be a Dutch name. Yeah. It's got pieces of all of them. I don't know who Pim de la Para was. Uh, allegedly, he is, you know, he is a, he is a Dutch uh, exploitation filmmaker. It sounds like a nom de plume, and I would bet, actually, that he was probably more Spanish or Italian than anything else. That would be my guess, that Pim de la Parra is actually maybe more Italian, because it has that, that Tinto brass feel to it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I, the, you know, they, Scorsese actually does an interview. I would have thought this is the kind of thing he'd want to sort of disown on some level. But he, well, all, he, he, all those guys, though, him and Coppola. And they all they, did exploitation they, they all, yeah, stuff to they, begin they with. They all did yeah. around in that yeah. yeah. Uh, so in any case, uh, this is just a this is a you know, basically a mystery, a very low budget kind of uh, oh gosh, it's not it's kind of an exploitation thriller mystery, and it was made in Holland and uh, or in the Netherlands we should say because Holland is you know Netherlands is the broader country, and uh, you know it's not something that uh, it's Scorsese. Look, he got a gig. I can't I can't fault him for his gig. It includes his script notes, and there's even an interview with the director here, and you know uh, all kinds of fun extras. And uh, is the movie any good? No, not really. <laughs> it's 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 not it's not in the least, it's not good in the least. It's derivative of Hitchcock in the worst possible ways, and the Bernard Herrmann music doesn't even sound like it was written for the movie. But that said, um, if you're a Scorsese completist and you kind of want to make sure that you can go to cocktail parties and say, you know, I've seen a film that Scorsese co-wrote in 1969. I bet you haven't. Yeah, you'll be the smash of that party. Yeah.
Okay. Uh, what are we doing? Uh, no, you still got a stack of. Uh, oh yeah, we got a few specialty. Uh, yeah, we got a few a uh, few arrow titles here. Uh, yeah, let me let me let me roll through these real quickly. Um, film. We we got a lot getting a lot of arrow stuff these days. Arrow and Arrow Academy. Uh, film Detective uh, has another restored uh, exploitation film here. Voodoo Black Exorcist. It uh, looks really, really good. The movie is not so good, but it's you know this is one of those uh, one of those you know nineteen early nineteen seventies uh, horror films. It goes along with all the things you know everything that Shelley Winters was playing some kind of a satanic uh, sorority <laughs> mom. This is like kind of one of those voodoo black exorcist. It's not very good, but it's in keeping with that whole kind of weird kind of early sixties, uh, late sixties, early seventies psychedelic uh, horror thing. Uh, Arrow has has given us a whole bunch of really, really cool stuff this week. On the exploitation end, uh, we've got Evil Ed and Wolf Guy. Uh, both of them, actually, in, you know, I mean, they're DVD and Blu-ray combo sets. Both of them really better now than they were when they were released. So uh, these films have kind of strangely improved over time, uh, especially Wolf Guy. You know, it's got uh, Sonny Chiba in it, for crying out loud. Sonny Chiba's awesome. Sonny Chiba. Sonny Chiba just, you know, look, I forget just... Forget about everything else that's in Wolf Guy. Focus on the fact that it's got Sonny Chiba and you're good. The last time I saw uh, Gross Point Blank might be the last time. Sonny Chiba. No, Sonny Chiba was in was in uh, which Tarantino film? Uh, Wild Bill? Was it Wild Bill 2? Is Wild Bill 2? Kill Bill. Uh, Kill Bill, sorry. Kill Bill, Kill, Kill Bill yeah. 2. Yeah, Kill Bill 2. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, he's in he's Kill, Kill Bill, Bill 2. 2. He's, right. the, he's, the sword, he's the sword yeah. master. Yeah. yeah, yeah, he's crazy good in that. Uh, and then, uh, you know, Evil Ed is just, uh, it's just a silly, silly horror gore film, but uh, it, it's of a piece with everything else from that era. And then from Arrow Academy, which does the more legit foreign language uh, art house kind of stuff, we have a, f- a French film with Pierre Bessur, uh and Jean-Louis Trentignon from 1960, Spotlight on a Murderer, which is, uh, is, is really, really great. Uh, this is from uh, Georges Franjou, who did Eyes Without a Face. And uh, this is not quite in that same league, but it is still, it still has his you know, very uniquely Franco-Gothic style and um, and it's a, it's it's just a great cast. And as far as you know, as as a as a thriller, as a mystery, uh, in all those ways, it's very much uh, from that kind of that moment in French cinema when all these things were happening, and and they were just so stylish and smart and well written and and really really good. So uh, terrific cast, really really smart script, and uh, a beautiful beautiful transfer from uh, Arrow Academy. Spotlight on a Murderer, the Georges Franjou film from 1960. And then the, the last couple here, real quickly. Um, before we move on to uh, television, we've got uh, the mysterious Airman from uh, Weiss Brothers. This is a uh, an old kind of uh, World War One era serial thing. It's just it's like you know still silent era, but uh, it's uh, it's a nice little discovery that uh, is probably you know worth it for some people who have kind of an archival interest in uh, in uh, obscure films from the, uh, the late silent era. And then uh, Swashbuckler double feature, Tales of Robin Hood, along with the Black Pirates. Uh, the Robin, this is not the Robin Hood with uh, Errol Flynn. This Robin Hood has Robert Clark, and the Black Pirates does not have Johnny Depp. It has a whole bunch of people that you've never heard of. So um, these are these are kind of you know these are B movies, but they're worth check- taking a look at if you just like uh, a little bit of vintage. You want to have a little bit of vintage kitsch to to enjoy. Uh, you know, 1950s, nothing great here, but you know, it's it's kitsch. Good, good, good. Uh, TV. A little bit of TV, just because they happen to be sitting over here. Uh, Kingdom, the television series about uh, mixed martial arts, which takes place in Venice, California here. Yeah. Uh, with Frank Grillo at the top of it. Uh, who would have thought Frank Grillo could work himself into being actually sort of a legitimate actor? I remember this guy was the so bizarre. guy. Yeah. But, you know, he was, he was in The Gray uh, uh, the, that Liam Neeson film, yeah. you know, the, the Wolfman, is actually yeah. pretty good in that movie, yeah. and he, he's actually worked his way in, into being. Anyway, this is a series set. Uh, so it's really just a soap opera set in the world of mixed martial arts in Venice, California. He has a he has a, uh, a, a place where he trains fighters. He has a wife and an ex wife, and all that kind of stuff goes on. It's pretty neat stuff. This includes um, um, a thirty episodes uh, from the the first two seasons of the show. If you're into mixed martial arts in general, a whole lot of those those folks. You know, fighters come through the series, so you get a chance to see all, to see a whole lot of those people. It's an okay, it's an okay series uh, if you're into it. Um, Kingdom. 
And then uh, the Irish RM with Peter Bowles. Don't call him Peter Bowles. It's not <laughs> not very nice. Uh, the Irish RM. This is from uh, RLJ and uh, Acorn. And uh, it, you know, could I, could I just say it's just so weird to me that Robert Johnson bought Acorn. Mm. He, I, I get it. You know, he he bought Image and then he bought Acorn, and I, I they're completely different companies, and um, that, but, that, which is probably why. But they, but he's he's maintained he sort of maintained their individual identities. It's just it's strange. Is it like usually you could say okay, you know, so he's the he's the the you know black entertainment television billionaire mm-hmm. who's going out and building his empire, and then he bought Acorn. I thought well he's buying it for the distribution. He's going to merge Image and Acorn. He's going to. He has them. He just bought yep. them, and they kept them as exactly as they are. Yeah, very yeah. interesting. They're very in- different anyway. stratospheres. Yeah. Anyway, well, the uh, the Irish RM the complete collection. This was uh, this is six discs of a wonderful, wonderful show that is one of the more sort of entertaining um, uh, British shows of the last, gosh, I don't know, uh, 30-some years, uh, because Peter Bowles is such a delightful actor. And like so many of these shows, this is a, um, you know, this is all about the fish-out-of-water thing. This is about a, uh, a, a British Army uh, officer who, get, who retires and uh, retires to Ireland. Uh, right around you know the year 1900 or so, it's Edwardian uh, Eng- an Edwardian English officer in Edwardian era Ireland, basically, and uh, everybody there is a little bit odd as they often are. The Irish are always portrayed as simple folk yeah. on British television, <laughs> like on Father Ted. But uh, this one is really humanistic too, and it's so sweet and uh, has such a great cast. And it's just there's no end to great actors in Ireland and England, and uh, it's it's quite nice. It's quite quite a nice show. 18 episodes here. Of the complete collection of the Irish RM. Ah, I have uh, Wentworth Prison uh, season three. Wentworth uh, Prison is an all uh, an Australian women in prison series uh, that's been around since about 2013. Now, again, a bit of a drama, kind of a soap opera, but but pretty crunchy. I mean, it's uh, you know not exactly oranges of new black territory uh, because this is a little, yeah, frankly in some ways more dramatic than that and uh, and has uh, bigger character arcs. But it's pretty but it's pretty good. If so, if you're into that, this is women in prison uh, movies are not what they used to be when you and I were. No, no, when yeah. Jonathan Demi was writing no, them. No, yeah. Pam Greer and, and, yeah. and, and, and different thing. Ebony again. Ivory and Jade. Yeah, I love uh, that. So this is season season three of that. The Outsiders season two. This is an interesting sort of um, 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 uh, series about this family that lives on top of this mountain in Appalachia and with deep, deep roots at the top of it. And so there are these, these mountain people. Uh, and uh, a coal mine buys, buys the mountain, and they want to come up there and start, and start doing whatever you do to, to get coal. And this family, they're kind of a, you know, backwater mm-hmm. family that's a little bit – they're called the Farrell family, which, of course, is uh, you know, yeah. a nice little double. <laughs> uh, it, 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 but in any case, it's kind of a neat drama. These families exist. Uh, these 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 folks exist in these places. We sort of forget about them in the United States of America. But mm. make no mistake, there are people in little corners and on top of mountains and down at the bottom of gullies mm-hmm. and out in the bayous uh, that have uh, been roaming around. Their families have been roaming around these places for hundreds of years, and they're just as backwards as they were yeah. two hundred years ago. Yeah. A lot of drama ensues. Anyway, The Outsiders season two. That's a WGN series, uh, by the way. And uh, TNT starts a new season of Major Crimes this fall, which is a cue to release the fifth season on uh, on DVD. And so Warner Brothers has released the fifth season of Major Crimes, which is um, which is a show that kind of went under my radar initially. And uh, I'll be honest, TNT really is kind of killing it. This is a, a really smart show. Deals with uh, the homicide, you know, police homicide investigations in Los Angeles. A lot of it apparently based on actual cases. And um, as far as procedural stuff goes, this is like a little bit like uh, Homicide Life on the Streets. You know, it's 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 in that same vein, and uh, it's really quite smart. Very well written and nicely put together. Major crimes comes with some deleted scenes and a blooper reel. Don't watch the blooper reel. It'll it'll it, it just makes it takes the intensity away from the show. It really does. You watch the blooper reel, and then suddenly now you can't. Now the show doesn't really have quite the same gravitas so this is a case where i don't think that's really a a wise thing to include (laughs) interesting interesting numbers was a neat series that i actually kind of liked because at the center of it uh lay math math that i cannot do but math that i understand (laughs) can in fact be used to solve crimes that's opposed to what happens in most sort of 
crime-solving series now where you have some sort of a forensic somebody or, or, or something, you know, an investigator, and they go out and you have all the hacked-up bodies, and, you know, and, and they do all that sort of police and forensics procedural stuff. Numbers was different. Numbers was, um, oh, what's his name from uh, Rob, Rob Morrow yeah. from, from, um, from uh, uh, Northern, Northern Exposure, Exposure yeah. uh, who I loved years ago. Uh, actually, just applying applying mathematics and science to sort of figure out what happened in these clones. Anyway, this is the entire complete series of numbers, which ran from about 2005 to about 2010. 118 episodes on 31 discs. Gee whiz. Plus I had no idea that show ran that long. Special features. Me either, to be honest with Judd Hirsch, Judd Hirsch on the show as well. You cool show, actually. Like you know what else I didn't know ran as long as it did? Becker. Ted Danson. Complete post, series of Becker. Post, so, so Ted post, uh, post post Cheers, post Cheers, and and and, and you know and, and yeah. all that kind of stuff. Another another. Well, you know, this was t- and this is the thing when you're when you're a sitcom star and you're on a show that runs for a long time. Yeah. Whether like you know Jason Alexander on Seinfeld and and uh, Candace Bergen on uh, Murphy Brown and we can go on and on and on. I mean, they, you know, Mary Tyler Moore on the Mary Tyler Moore Show. This this has been a problem from day one. Uh, Carol, you know Carol O'Connor on uh, All in the Family. Yeah. Uh, you become so identified with that character that when that show ends, nobody really wants to put you in anything else. Yeah. And you you've almost sabotaged yourself with success. Uh, that's been happening to Ted Danson for a little bit. He was so Sam Malone for a, more than a decade on Cheers that that show goes off the air and he and you know but still Becker ran for 129 episodes. Yeah, yeah, you know I I, I had no idea. I did not why I he plays he's playing a doctor so yeah, a surly yeah. doctor yeah. and I, I know it takes place in like a bar or yeah. something or maybe a coffee shop. Nancy Travis is the best thing about this to yeah, be honest. You know, I, so, I I when I saw this I didn't watch it for Ted Danson. I was like I you're Sam Malone I, I just just want to see you be Sam I don't want to see you be a doctor. But Nancy Travis I like a lot and that's why I would occasionally watch the show. But I didn't realize it ran for 129 episodes. Yeah, yeah, man. That's mad. Uh, so you know, good for Ted. I didn't realize the show was that much of a success, but uh, he's still Sam Malone to me. I still watch episodes of Cheers, and I just laugh my ass off. I, that show is so smart and funny. You, you, what's really interesting is you know, uh, Ted Danson started yeah. his career as a dramatic actor. He's in the Onion the Field. Onion field. You know. Yeah. Uh, uh, and, 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 and scare the daylights yeah, out exactly, of me. The Onion exactly. Exactly. And then and then you know that little transitional thing that he did. Into Sam Malone for all of those yep. years, and you know, and then which spun off Frasier, of course, and uh, and yeah, yeah, kind of neat. He's uh, so kind of dig that. All right, what else we got? Uh, uh, where are we where are we moving to? Uh, Queen Sugar. Did oh, you Queen watch Queen Sugar? Sugar? Actually, I did. I'll, I'll grab that one. Queen I'll leave yeah. these docs for you. Here's the thing about Queen Sugar. Ava du- Duvernay, of course. Yes, her first. Television series mm-hmm. with, Sugar, Oprah, with Oprah, with Oprah, with Oprah, yeah. And it's an interesting series. All right, so it's very contemporary. It takes place uh, in the South uh, amongst these black families uh, who grow cane sugar, right? Yeah. But it also takes place in the modern world amongst the uh, NBA, right? These NBA. yeah. So you have this this woman and her husband, and he's an NBA basketball player, and apparently there was a scandal. Uh, that he got caught up in, and she's the sort of powerful, and she has to go back to her home, back down south, and that's the thing that Oprah and Ava do very well, that homecoming yeah. kind of thing, and reconcile the life that she's sort of grown into over the over the several years, the NBA and the money and all that kind of stuff, with the life of the cane growers, her mm. father's family, that's her brothers and her sisters. It's really an interest. It's yes, it's a drama. It's a bit of a soap Sounds opera. Sounds like a little Dallas, yeah, little Dallas you know, and Dynasty going you're, you're on in there. You're in a place that you exactly. That yeah. you don't normally get to be seeing people do stuff you don't normally get to see them do. So it's kind of neat. Anyway, this is the first complete season of Queen Sugar. A few special features on it, including three uh, featurettes and uh, some 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 behind the scenes stuff. Good show, uh, Queen Sugar. People check it out. How do you feel about the Young Pope? You watching the Young Pope? I'm told by those who've watched it very closely that it's actually quite good, and that in particular Jude Law, Jude Law, right? Yeah, Jude Law and Diane the, Keaton. The, in particular, Jude Law has really been killing that. So Paolo Sorrentino uh, created and, and directs this, and Paolo Sorrentino, I'm very mixed on, as I think you and Mark. Yeah, know. well, I, Great Beauty is the one that I actually. Just, he, you know, he just he's so derivative of and so referential of. Uh, so Fellini. many, uh, f- well, Fellini in particular, but a little bit of Antonioni there too. Yeah, but, Antonioni, uh, but you know, yeah. but uh, but yeah, he's so so uh, it's, uh, that he's so rooted in that that it it's it undermines his his films. This, however, is different. 
And you know his first his first film that kind of broke through here was uh, what was that about the uh, the, the crooked uh, Italian prime minister? Oh uh, 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 yeah! Uh, oh my goodness! I forget the name of it. Well, anything that thing was just a monstrosity. It was unwatchable. So he kind of writes the course here. This is a stylish show, really well acted, very much tamped down, and I find it surprisingly good. I really didn't think that I would buy into it. I thought it was going to be a little too preachy, a little bit too. Um, a little bit too clever for its own good. Mm. Jude Law was going to be a little bit too smart casting, but it's not. It's really a much smarter show and a more nuanced show than I, I was prepared for. So uh, kudos to them. Blu-ray and digital uh, copy on this, and uh, not really any extras on here. There's you know a, a little a thing called invitation to the set, which is nothing in a in a, in a nothing featurette. Something oh, like Il, 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 Il Devo. Il, yeah, that yeah Il Devo, not the band, D-I-V-O. Yeah, no, no, yeah. no. He also Good. did that wacky thing with uh, Sean Penn. Uh, oh, in, in drag. Yeah, 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 yeah. This must be the place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah well, yeah. Yeah, well, anyway. Uh, and then uh, let's, let's talk for some docs here. I want to uh, hit on... Um, on a couple of war docs, which uh, are really worth recommending, uh, World War II, The Complete War Report, September 39 to September 1945, is a Mill Creek documentary collection, which is not better than anything else out there that's World War II related, but, you know, it draws on a lot of the same material, and uh, it is based on news headlines. So it's very easy to follow. It's good education, especially for people that just, you know, now we're in an age when people really don't know about World War II. I grew up with a, you know, my mother was a World War II refugee. Yeah. And I, so I, I, you know, firsthand growing up. But now we have people who, you know, their grandparents might tell them about it, but otherwise it's something they're not really connected to. So it's, this is a good thing to have in the house. A, a, a good deal of the, of the daily television entertainment you and I had as kids, certainly yeah. me. Uh, was from 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 Hogan's Heroes. Uh, uh, sure. Uh, um, um, uh, what even this even the sitcoms. A good chunk of the you know, were 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 World War Two based sitcoms. That they, Ernest they, Borgnine they, thing with their yeah, Navy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, McHale's Navy. McHale's Navy. Sure. So, so World War Two was not just the movies, but our everyday television, television. entertainment. Had elements or references, and things cool. like the World at War was on television a yeah. lot. You know, you you could watch the documentaries. In, in any case, yeah, that that's a, an important thing, and I'm glad now that we're in the 100th anniversary of World War One in yeah. that moment that we're getting a lot of World War One attention as well. Wonder Woman is part of that, and so is this amazing American Experience documentary that was recently aired on PBS, The Great War, which is absolutely superb. Uh, I, I'm a big Big World War One person. My father served in World War One. I'm sure I've probably mentioned that on the show a number of times, and I'm sure people are probably going, "Huh?" <laughs> you know, the the 100th anniversary of my father enlisting is coming up in September. Yeah, September 25th will be the wow. 100th anniversary of my father's enlisting in uh, World War One. Uh, I'm I come from a late period of my father's life, but. Uh, so you know, I have all that stuff. I got, I got. You know, have I ever shown you the artillery shell, the World War One so. artillery shell? I, I will show so. that to you next time. I got a World <laughs> War One artillery shell <laughs> sitting right there next to all the DVDs and and everything. It's uh, it's it's quite a thing. But uh, it, it's you know, they, they make the point very early on in this documentary that, and this is fantastic. I mean, this is you know, how, what is this? Eight, eight, eight hours, six hours? It's six hours. So it's six hours. It's just, it's fantastic. But they make the point very early on that what we're facing now in the world, that everything since World War I is still wrestling with the changes that World War I wrought on the world. Mm -hmm. That includes World War II. That includes the Cold War. That mm -hmm. includes the War on Terror. The, everything the, happening the, in the, the Middle the, East. The, the, the vision, I was going to say the division of, the, the vision the, of oh, things that happened in the Middle everything. East. Everything. that happened post-World War I. We're or still, because of World War I. World War I reconfigured the old world into the modern world. And here we are, a hundred years after the fact, and we're still trying to figure it out. Yeah. You know, we get sometimes caught up in thinking, oh, you know, you know the world needs to needs to ha fix its problems within a presidential term or something like that. But you know the, these tides go beyond our own lifetimes. Yeah, yeah. Well, particularly when you're talking about World War One, because what you're really talking about when you're talking about World War One uh, is you're talking about mostly royal families. Yeah. Most of whom are related to Queen Victoria. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we're talking about a bunch of cousins yeah. for the most part. King of England and the the wife of yeah. the Tsar of Russia. 
uh, were first cousins. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and you know, so was uh, so was the um, uh, let's see, there, so was the Kaiser. Yeah. So the Kaiser, the Kaiser was a grandson of Queen Victoria. Yeah. King of England was a grandson. The Tsarist of Russia was a granddaughter. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's, it's so, and people forget that. People forget that much of what went down had to do with yeah. internecine issues that had to do with actual families. families. And, yeah. Yeah, royal families. Amazing. So the Great War from American experience, they really outdid themselves. Tell me about that, because I did not see that one. Do they speak at all to the fact of black American soldiers? They do. Okay, good. Yes, they do. Because that gets overlooked a lot. We talk about about the Tuskegee Airmen and all those things relevant to World War One, yeah. but and, and relevant to World War II, yeah. but but black folks, black men from the South went and enlisted yeah. in that war yep. uh, by the numbers. Yes, okay, yes, very good. They very did, good. yeah, very much so. Uh, let's see, we only have a few minutes left on uh, on docs. Uh, you know what, this shit we should make mention of today as well, because we talked about dread. There is also a Blu-ray from Severin, uh, called Future Shock, the story of 2000 AD, which is all about the uh, the comic company. I think I called them 3000 AD earlier. I was thinking about you know the uh, oh, Paul Bartel. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so uh, yeah, 2000 AD, of course, the comics company that uh, from which Dr- Judge Dredd and many many others were drawn. Uh, this is the this is basically a, a, the um, all about the you know the the 2000 AD comic and everything that has transpired around it. I have a little bit of insight into this because a good friend of ours had once had some dealings with 2000 AD, was once actually kind of a, a part of the company, and uh, I'm not at liberty to go into any of those details, but uh, it is what's on here is very, very accurate and, uh, and very, very interesting. And a lot of interesting interviews here, including um, uh, Neil Gaiman and uh, Brian Talbot and uh, you know some very interesting people who are sort of central to this story. So that's, that's the thing. Um, Tim, anything else here that we can uh, we can knock out before we run out of time? Uh, what do you see? Let's see if like this. Uh, you know what? Yeah, let me uh, let me do these really really quickly because this stuff is is uh, worth making mention of. Um, as long as we are on the 4K thing, we got a couple of uh, really interesting BBC Earth 4Ks here, which look gorgeous. This stuff actually looks better than movies. This yeah. is kind of what 4K was designed for. Uh, Planet Earth 2 uh, by David Attenborough is spectacularly beautiful and really, really amazing. Uh, the, it, this is all about the photography and the audio, and it really, really is first rate. Uh, if you like all that David Attenborough stuff, you'll go nuts for this. And he, likewise, he's been at that for what now? Sixty years? Oh, it's ridiculous. Or yeah. something? Yeah, yeah. yeah. something. Yeah. Richard Attenborough's brother, by the way, for yeah. people who don't know. Yeah. Uh, much, much. Yeah. Really, really first rate. And then uh, similarly, we've got um, uh, Wild Africa and Tiny Giants. Uh, this is a more just tremendous photography, uh, BBC Earth style. And uh, Wild Africa is narrated by Helen Bonham Carter, Tiny Giants by Stephen Fry. Their voices are just wonderful and very officious and very British and make you feel as though the natural world is just uh, more elegant and artful than anything you've ever seen and not just this horrible chaos of decay and death, which yeah. is really what it is. But uh, it's beautiful. Africa has never been so beautiful. And uh, Tiny Giants is just adorable and sweet. So uh, the HDR will the, the, the HDR of, the, of, uh, of 4K is just beautifully on display here, again, more so than most movies. And then uh, lastly, let's just uh, make a quick recommendation of the uh, Gianfranco Rossi collection. Uh, Rossi, of course, did Fire at Sea, which was uh, Oscar-nominated, and yeah, this came is close, yeah. yeah, came very close. And this is four films on four discs, or I'm sorry, on three discs: uh, Fire at Sea, Below Sea Level, Boatman, and Sacro Gras. I am not a huge fan of him as a uh, as a filmmaker, but he is influential and he is highly respected. This is a Blu-ray from Kino Lorber, and uh, if you you know, it's you can learn a lot of a certain kind of documentary yeah. filmmaking here. Between that and I think there was one called The White Helmets. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, about the rescuers. Yeah. They, 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 they captured the, the very particular uh, set of circumstances that we find ourselves in now yep. with all these refugees. And, and, and they're particularly and, very good at that. And you know, there are there are four other documentaries now about Syria and refugees and, and what's going on in Syria. I've got all of them queued up, and I, I was going to watch them all in a single day, and then I thought, I'm going to kill myself at the end of this. I'm going to spread this out over the week. 
I'm going to spread this out over the week. I'm not going to sit there for eight hours and just watch death and horror and just no. destruction and genocide. I can't, I can't take that. All right. So with that, uh, we will head off. And uh, Tim, have a great week. Good, and Mark, good, good. Mark will be back next week. Yes. All right, everybody. We'll see you then. Much more than the sum of his parts like a storm. As a specimen, yes, an intimidating I needed encouragement. Thank you, LeFou. Well, there's no one as easy to bolster as you. Too much? Yep. No. Match, nobody bites like Gaston. When I hunt, I sneak up with my quiver. Mm. And beasts of the field say a prayer. Mm. First, I carefully aim for the liver. Then I shoot from behind. Is that fair? I don't care. No one hits like Gaston. Matches weights like Gaston. In a spitting match, nobody spits like Gaston. I'm especially good at expectorating. an egg every morning to help me get large and now that i'm grown i eat five dozen eggs so i'm roughly the size of a boy